Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. All the racing I've done, supercars and, uh, you know, all the GT and drifting and all that kind of stuff, I think it all helps. A lot of seat time and having some good times racing, it's, it's a lot of fun. As long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the, um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to another big week of Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock, good evening. Good evening, Tony, and uh, looking forward to Phillip Island this weekend. It should be a very interesting occasion with, uh, well, so many cars coming back from so much damage and uh, a lot of teams that have had sleepless nights getting them there. There were four cars that didn't start the uh, race four, weren't there? Indeed, yes, and those cars are, are certainly going to be under question. In fact, uh, uh, Rick Kelly isn't even getting that car. That car has gone to the... Uh, to the uh, great scrapyard above and uh, he's brought out one of his earlier cars for uh, this weekend's battle so it'll it'll be very interesting to see how those cars react and i i worked in a series overseas where um it was quite regular that if you cut the front clip off the car and then put it back together you picked up tenths of a second on a, on a short circuit oval and uh, I've spoken to enough engineers to know that they seem to feel like that happens to them when they are, in fact, uh, doing a lot of major work on their chassis. They, they say the chassis come back and they just seem to be that little bit quicker. So wonder if that will pan out this weekend. Yes, indeed. And it, uh, it should be a terrific weekend. Historically, uh, in the last few years, both Triple Eight and Gary Rogers, with Scotty McLaughlin winning last year's races, absolutely on a canter, took that Volvo to a pair of poles and a pair of wins. Mm. It was quite something last weekend, but he actually had done that previously. Maybe in uh, in fourteen and fifteen, he, uh, he did very well there as well. Yeah, he certainly is comfortable on that uh, what they call a slow steer racetrack, where and what that means is that you turn the steering wheel very slowly. It's got the big sweeping corners as opposed to, you know, parts of Phillip Island, uh, sorry, parts of Tassie and Winton where you're cranking on the wheel, fast steer corner where you're making sharp turns uh, throughout the uh, course of a lap. Well, it'll be certainly interesting to see. Uh, they've, of course, got um, lots of supercars this weekend because they're running the three series, that being the, obviously, Virgin Australia supercars with 26 cars. There are 23 of the Dunlop Super 2 Series cars. Big weekend for them uh, in Tassie because they had their first non-Holden Ford win with uh, Jack LeBrock taking out a race. Win in the uh, Altima run by... Um, Matthew White. Matthew White, yeah. Matthew White Motorsports uh, running that car for Jack LeBrock. And uh, so that's the first non-Ford Holden and common, uh, Ford or Holden win in the uh, Dunlop Series. And the third series, of course, is the uh, Kumo Touring Car Series. So that should be fantastic as well. Yeah, indeed. And uh, it's been interesting off the track as well, Tony. Uh, looks like the rumours about another manufacturer in and around the sport um, are starting to come to fruition. And uh, Kia 
have been reported as uh, saying that they're looking at opportunities right now. So they've got a new car with the, the Kia Stinger that's about to be released into Australia, a, a rear-wheel drive uh, turbocharged 6, which would certainly fit the bill for uh, the Gen 2 regulations, remembering that uh, you can also run two-door cars that have reasonable back seats and uh, there's a, a, a very interesting stipulation on the back seats for the uh, Gen 2 rules. But uh, here we have a four-door family sedan, if you like, that uh, could come to the Australian market and, and see supercars as a potential uh, platform to uh, polish their brand. Well, of course, um, the Gen 2 rules are still being worked on to be introduced next year. They were originally for this year, um, and that is uh, the only one we know of, don't we, in engine development is the uh, Holden and in development of the V6. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I believe Triple Eight are working through that with uh, with the uh, well, the technical departments, uh, and I, I believe it's a worldwide uh, worldwide job on that one. But um, yeah, look, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see how how many manufacturers the the changes might entice. I heard rumours a year or so ago that there was two manufacturers wanting to get on board, um, but they were were only just putting their toe in the water. And, um, well, to see Kia now openly saying that they're exploring opportunities is a real positive because there's been a lot of naysayers and doomsayers um, out there uh, talking supercars, uh, are in trouble, and I don't think that's that's not certainly the way I'm seeing the world at the moment. Yeah, well, it certainly would be good to see some more manufacturers there. I mean, we've had five brands, albeit that um, the Mercedes were privately developed and privately run, but it would certainly be good to see another manufacturer get back into the category. Mm. And indeed, um, you speak to Dave Stewart a little bit later on in the show and, and talk to him about that, in, in fact. Yes, indeed. Uh, but coming up after the next break, uh, we will be talking to Tony Woodward, who is involved in running the cool drive Tim Blanchard car from Brad Jones Racing. He works with Wally Story, and that'll be interesting to talk to him and the development of how they've got ready for this weekend after they also had a pretty tough weekend in race four. So after the break... Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Okay, and welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel, Tony Whitlock, being joined by Tony Woodward. Evening. G'day, mate. How are you going? I'm well indeed, sir. And yourself? Yeah, excellent, excellent. Now, you work with Wally Story on the uh, Cool Drive car? Yes, that's right. Okay, let's go back to where you started, where your interest in motorsport came from. Uh, I guess just as a young kid, you know, you're always interested in in things that go fast. So for me, it started in motocross. 
and then um, yeah, I was just sitting on the couch one one Sunday afternoon and seeing the supercars race on and got hooked on it from there. So that's where well, it all started. Where was this you were growing up? Uh, I grew up in Wagga Wagga, so country uh-huh. New South Wales. Not far from where you now live. No, that's right. So nice and close to home for me. <laughs> okay. So you saw supercars and you thought, that's for me. How did you go about it then? Um, so for me, I guess it started, I raced go-karts as a young kid. And then from there, I think the next step forward from a technical point of view was to head off to uni. So I finished year 12 at school and then headed off to University of Wollongong and uh, studied mechanical engineering there. Yeah. And whilst I was there, I was kind of involved in Formula Student and, and a couple of other sort of motorsport-specific uh, vehicle dynamics courses. So it was, it was really good. Wollongong had quite a few go through there end up in supercars. Yeah, there's quite a few guys, even from my year, up and down pit lane now, so it's good oh. to see. Right, okay. And your first paid job or unpaid job? Uh, the first motorsport one for me was actually Formula 3 here in Australia. I did uh, did a year with Garnett Patterson um, in that class. So that was that was a great sort of stepping stone for me. And a fair bit of data involved, you know, I imagine that you'd be uh, getting up to speed fairly quickly on. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think... Early on, it's quite a lot to take on to begin with, but once you get a hand on it, I think, um, yeah, you can progress through it quite quickly. What's your expectations for the team this year? Uh, I guess from a team point of view, we're all aiming, obviously, to win the championship. So um, for for this year, it's a bit of a building block. You know, we've had Nick come along and to pair with Slady and um, Tim Blanchard, I think it's a good driver lineup. So I think, along with the combination of the new tyre, we're just trying to develop everything that we've got here, get our drivers comfortable with the cars, and then and then really look for a strong championship next year. Mm. So you mentioned, uh, or Tony mentioned at the top, you're working with Wally Story, and you're both yes. listed as the uh, chief engineers on the car. So how's your role evolving this year, and what's the process with you and Wally both working at that level? Yeah, so it's a bit of an interesting one. I think I'm fortunate to have Wally alongside me because he's, he's probably been in this game longer than I've been alive. But I think for me, I'm, I'm stepping up and taking on a lot of the sort of managerial roles of, of running the car. And Wally's more a, a bouncing block for me, so just sort of to coach me through everything as I uh, develop into more of that role in the future. So you've moved up from data engineer? To chief yeah, engineer. That's right. That's right. Sorry, I did uh, I did data in 2015 with with uh, Dale Wood when he was here, and then over the past two years, I've kind of been slowly progressing into I guess the race engineer role. How much less data do you look at as the race engineer? Um, I'd say it's not significantly less. I think possibly because of the way me and Wally work together. I'm obviously a bit younger and a little bit more tech-savvy, so I still do a good portion of that side of, of the work. So, I would, yeah, to answer your question, I'd say not a lot less. Um, I still like to pay a lot of detail to that, so it's an area that I'm really interested in. One of the things I've been finding fascinating when we have spoken to engineers across the year is the management side of it. How hard yeah. has it been for you to, to then work on 
those uh, nuances between personalities and trying to work out how to uh, keep that equilibrium and uh, and balance. Yeah, definitely. That's that's something that you can't learn at uni. So I think being with the team now in my third year, it's been fortunate because we have quite good personnel retention. So I've known a lot of the guys that I'm working with since 2015, which has obviously helped me to get to know the ins and outs of each of them. And that definitely makes, um, you know, managing the whole group as a whole uh, a lot easier. And Tony, um, this year you're working with new tyres, new tyre construction. Um, are you finding them to yourself and, and, and um, Tim uh, that it's working well? Yeah, I'd say the introduction of the new tyre has definitely provided us with some challenges, but I think generally as, as a higher grip baseline for the car, it tends to mask a lot of the negative handling traits in, in a qualifying session, so that definitely helps us. Working from there, so I think it's masked a lot of the handling traits from the car, um, which but is, is definitely a change from last year, but in terms of a race stint, I think all of your, your natural handling traits come back uh, as the tyre wears off. Right, and, and you're finding that the strategy options are there with the new tyre? Yeah, that's right. I think there's been a couple of changes in format this year, uh, one of which would be Phillip Island this year, so we've got a new new format for this weekend. Yep. And I think, uh, you know, just change like that along with the new tyre, so we've got a bit of unknown degradation for Phillip Island. They definitely, you know, throw up some curveballs from our side of things. And I think that provides interesting racing for everyone at home. All right. Now, um, on your particular car, it was probably the least damaged of the cars, but it was damaged in race four, wasn't it? Yeah, there was still some pretty heavy damage there, so it was a, a late night for all the crew, but I think everyone did a great job to get it back on, on the grid. Right. Now, your trucks have left today? Uh, they're leaving tomorrow morning, so loading up this afternoon. Yep, OK. Um, so there were five of the six cars had been damaged, weren't there? Yes, that's correct. So both the DVS cars um, that were involved in that incident were pretty heavily damaged, yep. and they've actually been changed out for different chassis. And um, all three of the main game cars have, have uh, been back on the jig and checked and everything, so they're ready to go again now. How many man hours do you reckon the team has put in since the cars got home to, you know, get them ready to load up to go to Phillip Island? Oh, I'd hate to think. I know the guys have been doing probably 13, 14-hour days uh, since we've got back from, from Tassie. So last week was a big week for us all, but the hard work kind of paid off. We've all had sort of two or three days off uh, over Easter, which is really nice. Good to hear. Well, that's great to hear that. Um, and expectations for this weekend? Um, your car in particular, Tim's been there a few times. I think he's probably won in Formula Ford there. He'd be a track he knows well. Yeah, absolutely. I think for us as a group, we've had a bit of an up-and-down history there. So we've spent some time, you know, reviewing the differences in setup from the past, and we'll combine that with what we've learnt uh, this year with the new tyre. So I think... Um, yeah, just looking looking at what we've achieved there before and, and how well Tim's done there, particularly in other categories, we'll be aiming for, you know, a strong result around the top ten there would be nice. Wonderful, wonderful. Craig? 
Yeah. Do you think that uh, you mentioned about the new format this weekend, but do you think we need to look at how uh, an entire race season is structured? You talked about you're able to get some time off at Easter, but is it a case that we have race weekends that are too long being out to, you know, four and sometimes you have to be at the racetrack almost five days? Yeah, I think that's that's a difficult one to answer. Um, I think I do agree with you that the weekends tend to drag on for quite a while, but in understanding what actually goes on behind the scenes, I, I struggle to see us being able to actually fit it into much less time. So whilst it would be nice to have you know, shorter weekends and more time between events. I think if we actually rush the events themselves, then we'd probably uh, end up with just lesser quality of racing. Well, we look forward to uh, seeing the uh, cool guy car up there on the weekend and hope you're having to have a couple of good nights sleep before the event. So uh, thanks very much, Tony Woodward from BJR. No worries, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks very much uh, from Tony Woodward of BJR. That was terrific to hear, and we certainly look forward to catching up with them this weekend. And then after this break, we'll talk to Dave Stewart, who's the Sporting Technical Director at Supercars, and we'll talk to him about a number of things. One, of course, is the uh, AP brake uh, problem that occurred at Albert Park for uh, Nick Burkett, and the other item was to discuss the race three and the restarting of that. So after the break, Dave Stewart. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're talking today with David Stewart who's the technical... The Sporting Technical Director of uh, Supercars. Uh, good morning, David. Good morning, Tony. How are you? Well, indeed. Well, indeed. Looking forward to, well, you know, first of all, this, this uh, weekend coming. We've got the six-hour going, which uh, seems to be a very competitive race. And following weekend, I'll make my 2017 debut at Phillip Island. I imagine you'll be looking forward to getting back to a, a track such as that. Yeah, it's always nice going down to Phillip Island. Screen picturesque, great circuit. Yeah. Got a combination of high speed and low speed, so it's always great fun. To give our listeners some idea of your background, now what I know of it is um, you started on motorcycles and motorcycle racing in Australia, um, which was back in what, early 90s? Yeah, so I I raced motorcycles myself, um, uh, and then when I gave that away, I I, uh, ended up uh, getting a job to go to Europe. And I uh, was over there in 91, uh, came back to Australia, worked for the Ducati dealer team in superbikes from the mid-90s through till um, the end of 99, when the team closed down, and then uh, was offered a job at Dick Johnson Racing in supercars, uh, and have basically stayed in supercars since. And team manager at DJR, then SBR, 
and then transitioned and did something that no one else has done in Australia, and that's build a new three-car team from scratch using Mercedes E63s as the basis. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, you know that was probably one of the highlights for sure, being involved with um, Mercedes uh, in in uh, Germany and uh, HWA and, and AMG, and um, you know it was a, it was hectic but uh, really enjoyable, and we had a great bunch of people that were involved in the project, which which um, whilst whilst everybody worked hard, it, it made it easy to do. I remember that time at, uh, at Winton when Lee uh, notched up that first win for the team. It was quite an emotional moment. Extremely, extremely. That was, you know, the culmination of a, a lot of hard work and long hours by a lot of people. But um, I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked to enjoy something like that with a better group of people. It was, yeah. uh, it was emotional and it was fulfilling. Now, your your role changed in the last, since you joined because you joined as technical director. Yes, correct. Yes. And then, uh, whether the commission or the board changed the position to actually include sporting as well. Well, the title always the title always included uh, sporting, so I was always the technical uh, sporting and technical director. I see, right? Uh, we had we had Damien White um, working with supercars at the time, who, who was looking after uh, all the motorsport side of things. Um, and then after Damien's departure, I took on the took on the entire role. Right, which brings us to one of the reasons we called today, and that was to talk about the restarting of Race 3. Now, I know the Commission are going to be meeting this Wednesday, and they'll be discussing the format of restarts. Is that correct? It'll certainly be on the um, on the table for discussion, yeah. Right. Now, from most people's perspective, and those people who are involved in the sport, um, that obviously force majeure was in place, that the, that the uh, elements were against uh, the race running in, in you know, full, to the full extent of the uh, laps uh, it was supposed to. But the restarting of the race, is there is some part of that that didn't go right, or...? No, not not really. I mean, the, as as I've said previously, the race director is charged with running the race in accordance with the operations manual, the supercars operations manual. The stewards are charged with administering the rules as they're written in the operations manual. So, when you consider that the race was suspended under red flag, and there was a, a huge um, accident scene to. to uh, clean up, so there was uh, eleven cars in, in the accident. That took. Uh, you, you have to take all of these factors into consideration, and the race director does. And the race director is always looking at the best interests of um, the fans at home watching on TV, the fans that have endured the conditions around the circuit, the competitors, and supercars. So, in in evaluating everything that's going on, the race director always feels, um, given given the circumstances, that, that you know, we, we'll try and get the race restarted, that there'll be some action on track. Now, as it turned out, the um, uh, removal of the vehicles or, or the recovery of the vehicles took, took longer than anticipated. Not that that's anybody's fault. There were some uh, vehicles there with significant damage, and that always makes them hard to get onto the back of the tilt race. But the race director had the best interest of all stakeholders in at, uh, uh, at the forefront in, in trying to get the race restarted. In hindsight, would you do the same thing again? Learning the lessons from um, race three at, at Timmins Plains? No, you wouldn't. Right. Okay. 
All right, well, we'll certainly look uh, forward to hearing what uh, comes out of the Commission and uh, how in which the uh, rules will be structured for future. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, more of the technical part of your job, and that was the brake failure at Nick Perkatz, which was, you know, could have been far more horrific accident. It was, you know, fortunate for the rest of the field that it was only uh, Lee Holsworth that got hit by Nick on his way through. I've spoken to Barry Smith of Competition Friction, who are the Australian agents for AP, and he's described to me the uh, the fix that's been put in, and um, it seemed to me it was that perfect storm sort of thing where the elements were against uh, something not failing, you know, that that car had been through a number of accidents, and that the small uh, block or, or the, where they have to drill out for the six-piston uh, AP caliper, is there was a failure there where the, the fluid came out and lost total pressure for the front. Yeah, that's correct. There's um, there's multiple internal drillings in the caliper, and of course you can only do that from the outside after they've been machined. So they need to blank off those those uh, drilling holes. And they use they use um, uh, a combination of fastenings to do that. That might be a threaded grub screw and a ball, or a seal that's called an Avdel seal. Uh, it's commonly used in all the automotive applications, various automotive applications, and it's used. Uh, as a common um, blanking in brake calipers. For, for some reason, and we still don't know why, uh, the Avdel seal in, in uh, Nick Perkat's caliper became dislodged and, and uh, uh, blew out of the caliper, which, of course, as you, as you, as you have said, caused a complete and total loss of um, uh, braking to the front of the car. AP had a representative... AP from uh, AP Racing in England had a representative at the AGP. The caliper was taken back. AP have been extremely proactive, as have Competition Friction, and they've done a, a, an enormous amount of testing on the caliper. They hadn't been able to um, uh, identify why it came out. They then did an enormous amount of testing on uh, 20 calipers, 10 pairs of calipers, uh, at varying temperatures from uh, low to extreme and also from pre- varying pressures low to ex- extreme and did a complete matrix on all of that and still could not replicate the failure. They did have they did manage to make some of the seals weak but they couldn't replicate the exact failure so they felt in the best interest uh, of supercars that the um, they should come out and uh, form the, the um, precautionary measure that they did which was to um, tap out the whole that sits external of the Abdel seal and fit a grub screw uh, to it so that the seal cannot dislodge anyway. You'd really uh, think that the uh, supplier, particularly a supplier of control control component, couldn't have done any more than AP did. uh, I I don't think they could have done any more. You know, they've been, as I said, they were extremely proactive. This is a, a huge concern for them. Uh, as it is for our, our competitors. So they wanted to ensure that um, that they had done everything that they could to um, provide confidence for our competitors and supercars that uh, there wouldn't be a repeat of, of what happened at the AGP. Now, the AP calipers has been the control component since the Car of the Future arrived? Correct, yeah, since uh, 2013. Right, so there obviously is the control in the Dunlop uh, uh, 2 series. Yes, down into uh, Super 2 cars. The next generation cars, or cars of the future, are, are being used in Super 2 now. And uh, AP 
while they were out for Simmons Plains, went through all of the Super 2 competitors as well. Right, wonderful. That, uh, there wouldn't be any issue in that category yet. All right, well, that's fantastic to uh, have uh, Dave Stewart on Inside Supercars to go through these very hot topics. Um, while there's been some discussion and, and some uh, writing about it, I didn't feel that there was enough detail being given as to what actually had occurred and how it was repaired. So it was great to hear about that. Um, look forward to catching up with you, Dave, at Phillip Island. And uh, thanks once again for your time. No problem, Tony. Always a pleasure. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Craig Lance. Hi, I'm Dale Wood and you're listening to Supercars Today. And welcome back to Inside Supercars with Craig Lance, Tony Whitlock. We're here just to, just to wrap up a little bit about the six hour. It was a fantastic race. Great results to see a team that had a lot of problems last year. They did an engine on the Friday last year in practice. That's the Luke Still Paul Morris car. They rebuilt it. They're long-time BMW competitors. Paul uh, knew them from Super Touring days. And uh, they did a great job from uh, last year having a non-event to this year where they came out and they won, and they won in the last five minutes, passing the Morecambe Mustard Ford Focus uh, in the last uh, couple of laps. It was a fantastic race, and uh, as... Richard Crowell said on Inside Motorsport this week, it, it's amazing how Bathurst in the endurance mode can just year on year, race on race, doesn't matter what the racing is, turn in some just fantastic finishes. It was. And it, it's amazing. I, I haven't yet found out what the problem was. I believe it <coughs> could have been a fifth or sixth gear problem for um, Mostert. In fact, fifth and sixth gear. Oh, right. Well, no wonder they lost their top speed. That was a fabulous race, and uh, good luck to Paul Morris, who, of course, uh, did something that no one has ever done before. He's taken out the treble, that being the 1,000K race in uh, 15 with Jazz uh, Mostert, and then uh, he won the 12-hour uh, back in the days with Gary Holt, Craig Baird, John Bauer, um in the BMW 335. Yep, he's got form now, with BMW, hasn't he? <laughs> yes, and now he's added uh, that. He did win, of course, the uh, race back uh, in 97 with Craig Baird, but unfortunately was disqualified because Baird had gone over time, and that's when the Braben brothers won it for the BMW Australia team. But great to see for Paul Morris to get that because he has been a stalwart, not only of the BMW brand, but of motor racing in Australia, and he is a deserved competitor, one of the best motor racing brains out there, and someone always you can rely on to know that he'll have some different strategy to others. He just doesn't follow the pack at all. No, and the other good thing about Paul is he he speaks uh, he speaks his mind. He's not afraid to uh, defy conventional wisdom and and uh, say what the uh, party line is. He'll he'll tell you what he's thinking and and to hell with anyone that doesn't like it. Yeah, it was a fabulous result for them. And uh, a 
fitting, fitting result. It, it interesting seems that uh, you need to have a two-year program. I mean, the, the car that they were calling the beast, the M4 of uh, the Sharon brothers, uh, well, not Sharon brothers, it was the Sharon team with David Ayers uh, driving with them. Um, they were very quick, but unfortunately had a hose come off early and lost speed. They got back up there, but not, not enough to challenge. And then when you look at it, it seems that the AMGs were around, Garth Walden, Rod Salmon in his car, they were, they were very quick as well, qualifying third. But it's, it's the first year blues that, uh, it requires maybe, uh, two years to get the cars, uh, not only fast, but also consistent over the split distance. Mm, yeah, indeed. And, uh, I'm going to be interested to see how this race develops over the next, and not immediately, five, five years where's this race going to be? Because I think production cars on the mountain go hand in glove and uh, with a 64-car grid, maybe it'll have to be reduced in years to come, but hopefully not. I think it's just probably the right mix of uh, making the Easter weekend something very special on the Australian motor racing calendar again. Bathurst was the Easter weekend being a club event weekend. Whilst it was good, it, it didn't attract a lot of uh, interest from the, uh, as Brad Jones would call them, the Anorak members of the motorsport fraternity, uh, whereas this race could really cut across lines a, a lot further. All right, and after the break, we'll come back with our final thoughts on Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bear Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Freeway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to our final thoughts on this week's show. Craig, uh, my, uh, my thought revolves around the fact that we have got 68 supercars at the track this weekend. Phillip Island will have the three series, 26 of the Virgin Australia supercars, 23 of the Dunlop Super 2 series cars, and 19 of the Kumo Touring cars. It's fantastic to see so many cars there and competing in three strong categories. Um, really great. I'm really pleased that, uh, to be there to uh, see them firsthand. Indeed, it's going to be a, a great weekend with so many, uh, uh, so many supercars out on the track, uh, old and, of course, brand new, uh, literally as well as figuratively. My final thought, Tony, is yes? what, uh, how great is it that we've got two decent length races at Phillip Island. 250Ks, I'd still like to see them have 300Ks each, but 250Ks for both races is, to me, a much more sensible uh, format for a track that has all the facilities you could want and allows strategy to be played out. And uh, as we have as we've talked about with the six hour and as we talk about all the time, the more opportunities you have for people to do something different, the more interesting the racing is. And uh, I agree with you totally. It will be a fantastic event. Um, The weather looks like it'll hold uh, throughout and we might get one wet day in the three, but I'm sure it'll be a fantastic one. And so for Inside Supercars from Craig Lavelle and Tony Whitlock until next week when we review the amazing action that will occur over the weekend, Thank you for listening this week. 
Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. 